This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives online. I'm Sarah Tasker and this is episode 76. Hey guys, how are you doing? Thank you for joining me for this episode this week. I recorded this conversation a little early in the summer. This was another one of the ones that I stashed away during my um, burnout break. And I'm really, really glad that I can share it with you now because I know it is going to be so relevant and so thought-provoking for so many of you. Um, I've heard from quite a few of you that you would like to hear from more product-based business owners. So this week's guest, Jane, is exactly that. And she did something really fascinating in her business that you're going to find out more about. But it just poses this question, really, that I wonder how many of us are facing. And that is, what do you do if you've built a successful business that you don't enjoy? What happens if you make the dream come true and then you get there and it's not your dream anymore? That happened to Jane and what she did and how she turned it around is really inspiring. It's super thought provoking. And I think there's a lot of valuable lessons that she shares with us in this conversation. So here's Jane. Hi, Jane. Welcome to Hashtag Authentic. Hi, Sarah. It is really lovely to be talking to you today. Um, I wondered if you would quickly give an introduction to who you are and what you do for everyone listening who's maybe not come across you yet online. Okay. My name is Jane Lindsay, and I run a business called Snapdragon Life, which is part online shop and part membership community but the aim of both of those is exactly the same which is to help people find ways to slow down their lives to simplify things to kind of gently connect into the seasons and really to get rid of that feel of overwhelm and stress that we all seem to have so much we do all seem to have it so much and I find in my experience uh most people who come up with solutions to this do it firsthand by kind of struggling through it themselves. Is that true for you? Oh, absolutely. Um, I have a chronic kind of autoimmune condition called Addison's and sort of all the period that it was being diagnosed, which is about 10, 12 years ago, and the early treatment of it, my life was really up and down with symptoms. And then I realized that I was so much worse if I was stressed um, and that it was as soon as anything came into my life that gave me feelings of overwhelm, my symptoms would really go through the roof. You know, I would have like anaphylactic symptoms or um, my, my hair start to fall out and these kind of things. But once I learned that it was stress and I, I did a lot of research and, and work on how to manage that, everything has become much easier. And it's a lesson I think that's really true for people regardless of whether you're struggling with a health condition mm. right now or not because actually those effects of stress, in a way when you have a health condition, I have a chronic health condition too, and you have kind of the blessing and the curse of the fact that your body will tell you quite clearly and loudly when things are too much. Yes. Whether you tune in and listen to it is sometimes a, a separate matter and it can take a little bit of time to get your head around that. But I think for other people, sometimes it's easier to override that and keep going and keep going and ignore those more subtle signs that your body might be telling you you're doing too much and then realize way too late. 
What was kind of the turning point for you? Was there a moment when you were like, this isn't is too much and something's got to shift? Um, I think that I, I used to run a business that was really kind of almost like fast retail. I sold personalized gifts. I mean, I still do sell personalized gifts, but I sold in really high quantities and particularly at Christmas, I would be working really long hours. And then I would miss Christmas Day and I would miss Boxing Day. And I had children and I thought, oh, actually, that's not life. Mm. Um, and also, I, I could never rely on being able to do things. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so you're trying to make plans or kind of plan for your business and you, you don't really know if actually you're going to be up to scratch to do it. Yeah. And, you know, you, you disappoint friends, you disappoint family. And I thought, actually, I do need to take control of my life as a whole rather than just thinking about my business. I, I do think that people who have businesses are particularly bad at really working just for their business because there is that whole kind of, well, I think it's probably a myth, but there is a culture around people who have businesses, entrepreneurs, just working and working and working, and that that's part of the thing that you need to do. Mm, the hustle mindset, isn't it? Yeah, and the, the idea that at some point over the horizon, life will get easier. Um, but you have to put in all those hours, you know, like the startup in the garage. And yeah, living on yeah. Noodles and all of these kind of stories that we have had about what it's like to set up a business. And in some ways, those are inspirational. But in many ways, they're also quite damaging, I think. So talk about your business as it used to be because I think it's a model that probably a lot of people listening are either working at or working towards um you were mainly selling through sites like not on the high street is that right that's right I, I sold although I always had my own website I found it incredibly difficult to get people to find me on google mm. um so I sold largely through marketplace websites. So I sold on Etsy. I particularly sold on Not My High Street. It's a great site. Um, we sort of we did a bit of Amazon. There were various other sites that existed at the time. Um, and what that is set up as is that you you have your shop in amongst other people's shops, and people just search for something. Mm -hmm. And. I got extremely good at coming up in those searches. And the way that I did that was, as, as you would, is you look at what's selling and you do more of that. And you kind of, you nudge your designs a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. So I started off my career doing very delicate machine embroidery of flowers and meadows, which is what I'm back to doing now but that doesn't sell well in a marketplace website because mm -hmm. you are a thumbnail amongst thousands and if you can't see exactly what it is it doesn't sell a bit like Instagram I suppose very similar same, same kind of does it catch you exactly um so I found things that were very graphic as in like contrasty mm -hmm. um sold not pornography there um <laughs> Uh, things that were monochrome, anything with text sold extremely well. So you gradually move your style and move your style and move your style until it's probably unrecognizable from where you start. 
said. Your style has now become dictated by kind of not just by customer demand because it's not really purely demand that determines which things we click on. And I talk about this quite a bit. I talk about it in my book and in some of my courses in relation to Instagram, how if you kind of go on an explore page, for example, or or a, the first page of your search results, let's say, on a site like not, not on the high street, the things that your brain is drawn to to click on, that kind of happens subconsciously before your active brain has switched on and gone, hmm, now what is it I'm looking for and what are the elements I want to see? And so that's how on Instagram sometimes you can find yourself kind of down a spiral of clicking on things that part of you kind of is compelled to look at, but it's not what you mindfully chose to go and look for. Yes. And similarly, yes. I guess, on, on on the high street. So it's you've kind of completely diluted your style in the direction you wanted to go in. And you're not actually creating the things that necessarily people are mindfully choosing, you're creating something that people, what am I trying to say? It's like mass appeal, I suppose, isn't that? Yes, and this is how I, I, I got to a crisis in my business. Um, it was a couple of years ago, and I was actually, I was driving to a garden centre to buy a cactus. It was February, there was snow on the hills, it was absolutely beautiful, but I was setting up a photo shoot that was meant to be high summer. So I was going to buy my cactus (laughs) and we had just sold our hundred thousandth order on Notting High Street. And I'd had a meeting with my accountant and we'd had a kind of a, a projection of a half million turnover for the next year. And I really, it was sort of everything that I had been working towards. And I just felt so down. Um, And I was, becoming more and more obsessed with how many of those 100,000 things were in landfill. And it was exactly that thing that people will buy not because they actually want to or are thinking about it, and particularly because I did very fast turnover and I did free delivery and all of these other things, which also add into that mix. Mm. And I just... I just felt, you know, this isn't really what I want to do. I don't particularly like anything that I'm designing. <laughs> it's terrible to admit that, isn't it? Um, and how much of it is people actually wanting to buy it or how much of it is a kind of that'll do? Oh. Um, so by the time I got home with my cactus, I had decided I either had to completely shut down the business or radically change it. Mm. And I have. I have staff, so I decided that the radically change might be a better way to go. Um, and I had a team meeting the next day, and I said that they could keep on with Notton High Street and that we would cull all of the things I particularly didn't feel were good products, you know, that, that you wouldn't look at them and think of us. Mm. So we took 400 products off. We stopped doing free postage because there's never any... It's not actually a thing, free postage. But So we stopped doing free postage and we stopped having very, very quick turnaround. We, did, we stopped the same day turnaround. Um, and then I went off myself and I started a completely different business, which has kind of now taken over pretty much. I mean, that was a huge leap of faith on your part, uh, I imagine. Like everything that we're told in life is... 
make as much money as possible, get as many sales as possible. The customer is always right. And you had to trust in this instinct and this voice inside you that was telling you, actually, this is not the right direction for me and my business. I think it was shouting pretty hard, (laughs) the voice by then, because, you know, if you don't, I've left jobs before. I mean, I had a career before I started a business. And once you get to the point that you don't like what you're doing anymore, you kind of have to go completely. I'd got past the point where I could just slightly change things. Yeah. Um, and also, one of the problems which I found about having a big business, like a big, a high turnover business, because a lot of it is just turnover, mm. um, is that many months, the money that was our turnover, 68% of that would have gone on commission and VAT and postage. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think people realize that necessarily, do they? So that 32% was coming into the workshop to pay staff and supplies and electricity and for the building and the computers and, you know, all of that kind of thing. So we were always playing catch up. Um, And there was this pressure just to get bigger and bigger and bigger to stay to just to stay in the same place because you know we always owed tax and we always <laughs> you know owed lots and lots of things like postage and and things and you'd be trying to get all of the money together so it wasn't that when I had a large turnover business there was lots of cash slopping around it was very much the opposite it was still just and as hard as kind of being that startup except it sounds like there was more of you to struggle with it yeah and in fact I think it, In terms of the money, if you are in something where, you know, there are are commissions and you're into VAT and lots of people to pay and lots of supplies, you know, it's slightly different from a digital business. Um, That takes a lot of your money very, very quickly. I I have no business training. And I found it really... um, dispiriting to find all this money coming in and then even more going out absolutely Uh, and well as soon as you said to me that you'd sold so many pieces on that on the high street that was my first thought because it takes it's one of the highest isn't it for a percentage fee on every sale do you remember how much it takes um i think that their 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 general commission is around about 25 percent which to be honest i think is a fair thing for running a website and doing all the marketing um and your cash transactions. But it's a well. difficult thing for a business to price things where a quarter of your your revenue is immediately just gone yes, on purely then, on that. And 20% to that. Yes, yes. And then, and then, as you say, all of the supplies and the costs and the overheads of actually having a space where you produce a tangible physical thing and the cost of posting it, which you're covering because you're offering free postage. It doesn't leave um, very much left. It doesn't, it doesn't. And I think that... that that was something that I had not realised at all, um, even when it was happening. No, I, I would say that's very common. And quite often when you sit down with someone, especially with a craft-based business, um, when you look at prices versus kind of overheads and time spent, quite a lot of people, especially on places like Etsy, are selling things way, way too cheaply. But they the market are. kind yeah. of dictates that price now because everybody is is selling things way too cheaply. It is a, a great problem. Um, 
particularly with things maybe like knitting, where there is no way of reducing the amount of time that something can take. You know, I was speaking to somebody yes. the day and she was saying, you know, she, she knits pairs of socks and it takes her 16 hours to knit these beautiful pairs of socks. How do you price that? You know, who's going to be paying £160 for their socks? Yes, yes. You know, somebody might, but, then you know, it's not your general way of buying your socks. It's not, and we've become so used to the, like, 99p for a pack of five yeah. mass-produced, horrendous for the environment socks. Or even if we're buying things that are hand-knitted, we think, oh, well, I'm going to buy this wonderful pair of hand-knitted socks at £28. And that's, yeah. you know, you take off the wool and you're probably on about £1.20 an hour. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting one, I think. Craft. It's a really interesting one. It's a very complicated problem to unpick really and it's I mean it's it's beyond the scope of this conversation to come up with a solution but I definitely feel for anybody kind of in in that it's, it's almost like a bit of a treadmill and it sounds like that's exactly where you ended up where you were kind of quite good at playing the system quite good at the business side of of meeting customers demands and creating products that we're going to appeal and we're going to sell but that's not really why you got into this to start with. You got into this because you were a maker and an artist and you had beautiful work to share. Yes. Yes. It was very, very different from where my business had started. Um, and what I decided to do in the end was basically take my business back to where it had started, but add in social media, which hadn't existed in 2003. So how was that? Approaching social media for the first time with kind of all of these new ideas buzzing around in your head. Well, what was what was actually fascinating was that in 2003, I had had a blog. And it was like a blogger blog. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really ugly. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was, it was just terrible. I mean, I think you could probably still find it, but it was just awful. Really, really awful. But it had been about moving to the country and starting to grow flowers which was my first business and a lots of those people were still who, who read that blog were still following me so when I decided to change the business and I started posting on like Facebook and I sent out a newsletter um, those people kind of noticed now I thought that 15 years on everybody would have forgotten that I'd even had that kind of naturey seasonal quite organic business Mm. um but when i launched my membership scheme 60 of the first 100 people who signed up were people that i had known 10 years before i love that i love that and it was because they had they had been invested in my story then yeah and even though i'd been missing for a number of years they remembered the story and they wanted to kind of be along on the sequel. And all of the trust and, well, it's that like no trust factor, isn't it, that gets talked about an awful lot in marketing, but that's what we create when we are able to share ourselves on online and places like social media and blogs give us a platform to do that where we can share who we really are and that's the thing that people will connect to, that your right people are going to connect to and not forget in a when the next flashy thing comes along 
But what I have now found brilliant with the new sort of wave of social media, like like Instagram, is that it's a two-way thing then. Mm. Because certainly in 2003, all my readers did not have their own blogs. But now most of the people who connect with me on Instagram are also posting. So I get to see into their lives in very much the way yes. that they get to see into mine. And that feels so much better. It's not just me standing in my <laughs> yeah. garden shouting. It's a I love that analogy. That is exactly how it feels. And it's not like broadcast in the same way that sort of the early days of blogging felt. It's much more like a conversation, something more equitable about it. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I certainly do not think that I would be able to run the weird hybrid business that I have now without social media. And I imagine a lot of those skills that you honed earlier in your business actually come into play again on social media, but you get to choose how you apply them and be a little bit more uh, yourself about it. Yes, though, um, I'm, I'm a retail business that doesn't particularly like selling. <laughs> and I don't mean doesn't like selling as in, you know, is scared of selling mm. or but I kind of feel that we all have too much stuff mm. so I find myself consciously putting up barriers to people buying instead of removing all the friction um the site is is designed so you know we we now have much longer lead times there are limited editions that only come up once a month um it is much, much more difficult to buy from me than it used to be. And that kind of suits me. If people want to buy from me, then we have all of the products, but you're not going to do it in a kind of add to basket after a few glasses of wine kind of thing. That is so interesting. It's like the anti-Amazon Prime. Yes. Because <laughs> it's so easy to do, isn't it? It's so, so easy. Our mind tends to be at like 3 a.m., can't sleep, I end up buying something stupid online. <laughs> and you're right, it's never the stuff that you've been wanting for ages and coveting. And the stuff that you do really, really want or need in your life. Like there's little tiny designers in Iceland who, you know, barely speak any English who I've managed to exchange emails with and send bank transfers to to get something sent over. Like, when you're truly motivated, the barriers don't matter. They don't, and it means so much more then. Yes. Um, you're, you're not going to, it's not going to arrive and you're not even unpack it, which I know in the past I've bought things and the box has arrived and it's sat around for a week because I know what's in the box and I'm no longer bothered about it. Um, which is just terrible. It's just so yeah, terrible. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I'm a retail business so that wrong. tries to take retail out of my profit. Well, and so much of marketing is manipulation. This is something I've been writing a solo podcast episode on at the moment. And it's it's a fine, fine line because all marketing to a degree is is trying to kind of get people to think your way. Um, I'm choosing the elements of marketing that don't feel 
manipulative is a, is a hard diff- and tricky thing to do. I'm, I'm trying to imagine what do the people in your life think about the changes you've made in your business? Um, the people who do not have online businesses think that what I have done to my business is peculiar. Mm. I mean, they just, it's not that they're judgmental about it. They just do not understand how I can, they, they understood a shop business online. Um, they understood that people could buy things, buy things, and then I would send them out. But they don't understand something that is part retail and part membership and e-courses and magazines and things. They, they just don't understand how that works. My family, who are very anti the internet and social media, but have kind of bricks and mortar shops. Again, they, they just, they don't understand Mm -hmm. it. It's further away from their comfort zone, I suppose. It's really far away from their comfort zone. They, I think that they think I'm going to be abducted at some point, (laughs) you know, because I, I, I show people my house, you know, they think that's really weird. Um, but online friends and particularly there's been a lot of people and you will have seen this in the Insta retreat as well, that, there are lots of people who have had retail businesses but are now broadening them out or doing something mm-hmm. different, often in incredibly innovative ways um, and ways that are really going to make a difference to people's lives rather than just selling stuff. Yes. Um, and they all get it. All my, all my business friends get it. And they're essential. If you don't have that little cheer squad of people who see it from your angle and can kind of be there for you in the moments of doubt it's just you with this vision plowing ahead against kind of a world of people that that don't see it and it does go against all of the stuff that we learn kind of growing up and about success that it's more money more sales kind of just keep getting bigger and bigger to to actively choose to go smaller and more mindful is against all the popular narrative yes it is. But I think I think that it is a long term thing. And I think that, you know, in five, 10 years, all businesses will be trying to work out a way of ensuring that people just buy things that they actually want. I do. Do you? Do you see that a change that will will spread further and further? I, I think so. I mean, not necessarily to Amazon Prime. Um mm-hmm. But but generally, I think there already we've got all of the the kind of co-ops that are coming up and and people who are say renting out tools rather than selling them, mm. you know that kind of thing. And community startups. Most of the people that I know who are beginning businesses, there's an awful lot more community in them than there was five years ago. And that's something that's missing in so many of our daily lives. Like there's no space for community unless you find it digitally. Yes, and I think that we've also, in many ways, got used to not being in our local communities. Um, because yeah. I am terrible. I am a hermit, really, and that's something that I am working on this this year. My my <laughs> husband's a GP, and he keeps saying to me, "You've got to make sure that you see four people today." <laughs> It is. It is. I have to, you know, delivery drivers. I have to go and say hello to them. Oh, um, that's quite hard. I don't know if I, I see four am, people. And you know, so much research is about how 
the community connections are actually the thing that makes us healthy. I mean, I, I ignored this research for a long, long time. Um, but it, it's out there and it's, it's really compelling. So this is something mm. that I'm going to be trying to force <laughs> myself to do, to actually take the time from my busy, busy, busy schedule to go and see people and speak to them face to face more. I'm feeling a bit called out right now because this is something I'm yeah, really Yeah, well, you're probably for. exactly the same as me, but I would be quite happy going several weeks without seeing anybody other than my immediate family. Totally. And my husband's different, so he's always talking to the neighbours and he's outside chatting with them and I'm just inside thinking, okay, I'll just stay here and they won't know I'm here. <laughs> it's hiding a room without windows. Well, you see, that's that's exactly my natural thing. But I do love community. and yeah. I love the communities that I have built. I love being part of other communities. I love being part of the Institute Retreat community because I do feel that they are real. Um, and I don't have to get dressed. Well, yeah, they're very real. And I mean, you might have heard me talk before about my notion of the web travert, which is there's introverts, there's extroverts, and then there's web traverts. And it's the people who are at their most comfortable socially online and find that kind of interaction filling you up fills you up sorry um as opposed to the kind of interaction where you have face to face where you do have to get dressed and you have to do your hair maybe and you're worried about how you look and you're worried about how you're coming across and there's something really comfortable about being online and being seen for your words and your thoughts more than for your appearance yes yes I think it would be interesting if somebody did some research about whether those very close, properly interacting groups um, fulfil your your community connection, quote, even though it's not face-to-face. -face. Um, because I suspect that they haven't. I suspect that they just do research on or maybe how much time you spend scrolling rather than interacting. Mm. Well, it's very easy to do that and, and there's no community in just scrolling. It's only when you kind of dig deep and actually stay in one place for a little while that those connections can form. Yeah. Um, and that, that, I think, is, for me, having a business which enables me to have a proper... What I, what I think about my business is it's a bit like a garden gate shop, um, but online. I love that. And that, isn't that like what everybody wants? Everybody loves the notion for Garden Gate Shop and wishes that they still existed more in the world. Yeah. So to take that digitally so that everybody can access it makes a lot of sense. Um, because I did, I mean, when I first started my business, I, I was largely growing flowers and I did sell flowers from a van in my drive. And that was really good. And I loved that. And people would come for a cup of tea and, you know, we would chat and I had no problems with that. It was only on a Friday. I had no problems with that. Um, but then 2008 and there was the recession, everybody was short of money. And one thing that everybody cut was that bunch of flowers for the kitchen table. And what I found was that because people weren't going to come and spend their five pounds yes, on a bunch yeah. of sweet peas, they couldn't come along at all. 
So I went from having sort of 40 people come round on a Friday who I thought of kind of like, you know, they're coming for a chat mm. um, to nobody because everybody had, you know, moved as a group and cut that from their budget. So online, it's much easier because everybody can come along. It's not dependent on you buying anything it's yeah. in the way that a bricks and mortar venue is. So where is your main community space online? Where is the, where is your garden gate that people find you? I've got a Facebook group, which is called Snapdragon Studio B, and that is a free Facebook group. And then I have a separate Facebook group, which is just for my members and for people who are actively doing e-courses. And so people find you, people come to the first Facebook group, and that's the kind of the space where you don't have to have a budget to spend. You can literally no. just be joining in with the community. Yes, and it is very much a community. People, it's not me being the person there. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's lovely because people find that, you know, they live along the road from each other and they can meet up in real life and go for coffee. And how do people find you and find that group? Um, my website is snapdragonlife.com and all the links are just on the front page there. It's set up a bit like a magazine. But do you have a sense of how people stumble across your work to oh, begin with? Um, I, don't, I think largely through Instagram, actually. Yeah. Um, I had always had an Instagram account and I got absolutely no traction with it at all. I think I hadn't known what I was doing. It was too salesy, maybe. Mm. It was just a bit dull. Um, and I stopped that just over a year ago. And I changed and I started from scratch. And although I don't have the same follower numbers, I have so much more interaction. Yes. And well, and this is so key, isn't it? Because do you know how many followers you have on Instagram? Um, two and a half thousand, maybe. Okay. I think that's, this is a really good lesson for people to hear because two and a half thousand people, but your Instagram is enough to be the main source of people who are joining your community and finding oh. you. Absolutely, and it was from the point it had about 300 people. Yes. There's this idea, um, isn't there, that you have to, oh, I can't have a business until I've got 10,000 followers or I can't, I can't launch my product until I have at least 10,000 followers. And actually, here you are with thriving business without setting any of those barriers in your own way. And the way that most people find my Instagram, and of course you, this is something that you talk about in the Instagram, is me commenting yeah. on other people's things, but actually taking the time to not just say nice photo or <laughs> whatever, but to make a, a sensible comment. And then you'll find that people will come from that to see what you're talking about elsewhere. And then if what you're talking about is resonating with them, that's it. The job's done. Yeah. Yeah. They see you as a person rather than just, I don't know, as somebody who clicks like. Yes. Definitely. I mean, I used to talk about it as like, it's like going around a party and giving everyone your business card. And if you just give them a business card and walk away, that's like hitting like on mm -hmm. their photo. But if you give them a business card and introduce yourself and maybe be like, I really like your dress, where's that from? Or whatever it is you've got to say to them and then go away, then they're so much more likely to do something with that business card afterwards. Yes, just yes. Think of you fondly. 
Yes. You know, think, oh, that's, a, that's a nice, interesting person. I would like to have them in my life rather than, oh, yeah. It's a piece of paper. Yeah. It goes in the bin. So I wonder what's next on the horizon for you and your business? Do you have a sense of where it's headed, where it's evolving? Um, we have just reached the membership numbers which allow me to do more concrete things. So we brought out a proper print magazine um, for members. And that sort of goes along with a eight-week e-course. And it was about kind of getting through summer and exploring things and and thinking. Um, But there was a nice magazine. Um, And really, I loved putting that together so much I love mm. I love learning stuff I mean that's that's really the reason I have a business is that I Fresh just love the excuse yeah. to learn stuff so yeah yeah so there was the challenge of actually in design, in design like to put together so a counterintuitive yeah. <laughs> but it's magic I had been trying to do ebooks on photoshop and now you know in design it's just amazing and the idea that you can just send all of these things and they come back as like a proper block bound A4 magazine on beautiful paper. Oh, it was, yes. you know, I hadn't realized that you could do that. Um, but <laughs> anyway, so we're going to have two magazines a year. So two magazines, two e-courses. And then in between that, I'm hopefully, I just need another 10 members to make my figures work, um, have smaller publications, but again, proper in your hand publications that slot in between them so that the members as well as getting kind of discounts and all the kind of those very material perks they also get something that carries them through the year Mm. Um, and I'm quite excited about that because originally when I thought up the membership I thought that people would be attracted to it because you get discounts on products you get you get to buy it whatever the cost price is to us. So that's you know, a, a hefty discount for people. And I thought that would be the attraction. But after six months, I realized that wasn't the attraction. What people wanted was to be part of our community and um, what we're doing and, and having that idea of supporting a studio. It's a bit like kind of having shares in a studio. Yeah. Um, and it's, an amazing thing for me because they allow me to do everything that I do because I know that I have that membership money coming in every month. So I no longer have the problem of highs and lows in money. I have kind of less money coming in, but it is nice and steady and it's useful. Well, and it sounds like whereas previously you mentioned your business was kind of led by customer demand and you were always chasing your tail and trying to catch up and being a bit like, where's the money this time around you're you're in control and you're constantly kind of looking at what your business needs I mean you mentioned oh we need 10 more members to do this so that you're you're creating products to to fund the next product and it's all very symbiotic yes guess it is and it it means that I mean even um I do like a quarterly craft kit as well but that's prepaid so it just it's it's so much calmer (laughs) it's calm this is the word calm it's just and it's nice and it's very very difficult to be creative if you are chasing money yes um so and whether that's you know writing or photography or 
creating new products or designs. It's you need to have clear space and well, I need to have clear space and empty space, and to be relaxed and not worried to be able to do that properly. Um, so it has completely changed the business. It's actually in in a very quiet and calm way. I think quite radical what you've done. I can't think of another business that's quite like it. No. And I I would say that because of that, it has been essential to have people that I could have as Mm. sounding boards through this. Um, And that started off with Kate Ferris and now Jen Carrington is my coach. And I don't think that without the support of either of those, I would have had the space I think that's such a key point and I'm always a huge advocate of people investing in that kind of professional support when you're doing something like this because it's you on your own and and it's really good to have someone to sound ideas out with and and help them take the best shape they can um and it 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 is a space thing because you can talk to friends and they go yeah that sounds great and that's Mm. really useful but to have somebody who will make you really think about what you're saying um and maybe plan a bit more and almost a little bit of accountability as well can be helpful for some people yes yes um but i i do, I do think that retail is completely changing so i don't think that my model will be at all unusual in five years i really hope you're right and i do i can definitely see a future where um disposable culture and kind of you know the single-use plastics single-use anything is kind of as taboo as drink driving now or I don't know like smoking like it's really seen as something from the past and people kind of look at it as in like what on earth were you doing yeah I I think that certainly with plastic in packaging we are hitting that now because you know if something arrives over packaged at my house I'm like no I can't order from these people ever again because look at all of this yeah, packaging. Yeah. Um, it's becoming sort of socially taboo, which is the first step quite often for these kind of changes. Yeah. And um, certainly we redid our packaging this year and we had redone it three years ago. And the difference in the amount of um, sustainable packaging that we could choose from now as opposed to three years ago, I mean, it was just amazing. There was maybe 10 times as many options. That's really heartening to hear and, and exciting to think where we might be in another three years. Yeah, and that's that's for small businesses because obviously we're not buying fast quantities. No. So it, there must be even more options for, for large businesses. So hopefully the uh, customer demand will mean that they take those options on. Jane, what would you say then to somebody who is maybe in a similar place to where you were in your business? They're maybe feeling stuck. They've realized they've gone off the path of their creativity, um, but they need the money and they don't really know what to do next. I would say it's not too late to change and that you can do it gradually. Um, I mean, there's no reason that you need to completely trash your business. You can just maybe set aside a portion of the week to work on what you really would like to do and then keep the other bit that is maybe providing the cash 
and rely on that for the cash while you kind of almost side hustle what you're, th you're actually wanting to do. But yeah, side hustle within your own business and be brave because I think that the solution mm -hmm. probably isn't what everybody else is doing at the moment. Like a side hustle within your own business. No, no, it very rarely is because then you're already kind of jumping on a bandwagon that's off and rolling. You've got to start your own. Yeah. And also social media allows you to try things out. Yes. And get immediate um, feedback most of the get time. Get immediate feedback. And if, it, if everybody is kind of less impressed than they should be in your mind, then either you go with it and you explain more or you go well maybe that's not the right path but nobody will remember in a week no that's so true um so don't don't be afraid i think would be my yeah my thing but also don't don't burn all your bridges yes um one of the things that jen often says to people that i always think is immensely comforting and wonderful to hear as well is that your best work is ahead of you and it, when you have a business that's successful in one area and you think that's it. You think you've, you know, lightning doesn't strike you twice. Here's my lightning. I can't throw it away because what chance have I got of getting a second shot at this? But actually, you can evolve into something bigger and better than anything you've got right now. And that's always possible wherever you are. Yes, I think that's a really good point. And I spent maybe five years convinced that I couldn't get out of my reliance on other people's websites. Hmm. And that was completely in my head. Because I'd make half-hearted attempts to beef up my website or whatever. But actually, it turns out what I needed to do was go in a completely different direction, but with force and conviction. Yes. Rather than tinkering. Um, and that was a, just a lie that was in my head. And until you've really done it with all of that force and conviction, you can't really say it doesn't work, whatever you're talking about, really. No. That's no. definitely a lesson for business and life, I think. Um, and... And the other thing I, I would say is don't be afraid to be the first to do something. Yes. And my favorite decisions in my business have always been the ones that have made other people go, what on earth? What, what's she doing? Yeah. Because <laughs> then you know that you've come up with something that's, that's truly you, like you've really connected to your creativity and your own ideas. You've not taken it from anywhere else. Which is always good because, you know, it's much easier to run a business that nobody else is doing at the time. Yes, it really is. There's a lot of freedom, <laughs> a lot less competition. It's lovely. Jane, thank you so much for this. This has been such a fascinating conversation. Can you tell us where we can find you on Instagram, etc., so people can look you up? Okay, on Instagram, I am snapdragon.life. And my website is snapdragonlife.com. And Facebook, it's Snapdragon Studio B Group. Fantastic. And I will link to all of those in the show notes as well for anyone looking online. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you. It's been a delight. As always, I have made some show notes for this episode. They're at meandorla.co.uk forward slash podcast 76. And it's not just a thing I say. It's really true. Come and talk to Jane and I about your thoughts from this episode. We're both around on social media. I've stuck our handles there in the show notes too. I'm really interested to know if any of you have had to deal with issues like these in your business 
and what kind of lessons you've learned from them. Finally, if this or any of the other episodes of this podcast have been useful or enjoyable to you, I would love it if you could leave me a review in your favorite podcast app. Hit subscribe. It makes a big difference in an algorithmic, mysterious way. And if you want me to send you an email each week when the new episodes are out, you can sign up on any of my podcast show notes. Just go to meandorla.co.uk forward slash podcast. Okay, that's it from me this week. I will be back next time with a solo episode and I look forward to talking with you then. Have a good one.